Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome to the Yoga Hour Offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. Today, we'll be discussing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that's familiar to many, if not most people today, but people often think about yoga in a very narrow or limited way as just a system of exercise, perhaps, or stretching. But actually, the word, the Sanskrit word yoga means oneness, union, or unity, and is really referring to the bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. And actually, wholeness is our topic today. Living yoga, living wholeness. Kriya yoga is described in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras as self-discipline, self-inquiry, and self-surrender. How can these teachings help bring us back to wholeness, a life filled with peace, joy, and deep contentment? My guest today is Reverend Dr. Paula Wang Ramos. Dr. Wang Ramos is the founder, spiritual director, and Kriya Yoga teacher at the Blue Lotus Meditation and Yoga Center in Gilroy, California. Paula also serves as an associate minister at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, and as a licensed psychologist in Gilroy. To learn more about Paula's work, you can go to the website bluelotuscenter.org. And of course, Blue Lotus Center is all one word, bluelotuscenter.org. Welcome, Paula. I'm so delighted you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you, Laurel, and good morning to you. It's such a joy to be with you and the Yoga Hour community this morning. And also thank you to Yogacharya O'Brien and you for this invitation to be here. Well, it's a treat. And as we will see more, it's a treat to be able to talk in more depth about Kriya Yoga. But before we dive into that conversation about living yoga, living wholeness, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Oh. So let's take this moment and use it as a yoga moment, an opportunity to practice. Instead of just talk, we're going to practice as well. So let's start by turning our attention within, taking this moment out of our busy day just to be present here and now. 
And our breath is a wonderful tool that is it's so great because it's with us all the time. So let's start by just taking a fully conscious breath and just noticing as you inhale and exhale. Just noticing the natural flow of the breath, not trying to change that rhythm, but just noticing. Noticing as you feel the cool air inside your nostrils on the inhale and the warm air on the exhale. And let's imagine with each inhale we can dive within And with each exhale, we can relax. In this moment, as we follow our breath and dive within, we can open our heart to the essence at the core of our being. This one reality, called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here, and right now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us, and all around us. And just by being present and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being As we rest, we might notice thoughts or feelings arise. And if that happens, just know that you can watch them. Watch them as they arise and watch them as they pass away. Resting in this deep essence of our being and feeling the peace that is present. Peace that permeates the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. And as we rest in this peace, let's intend to carry it with us, to use it, as Yogananda described it, as a portable peace. Bring it with us in our day and share it with all that we meet. So once again, Dr. Paula Wang Ramos, welcome to the Yoga Hour. So as we're going to talk about Kriya Yoga, let's begin with what drew you to the path of Kriya Yoga? How did how did this practice start for you? Well, I actually began as an active spiritual seeker for decades before I knew about Kriya Yoga. And the yearning was to first have an understanding of how it was that different religious traditions seem to speak of an inherent wholeness, and yet what I would see in our uh, cultures is these traditions being used actually to support harmfulness, not 
wholeness. And that was difficult for me to reconcile. The, um, so I studied from many different traditions over the years, both Eastern and Western spiritual traditions, and found many beautiful teachings um, that highlighted qualities that touched my heart that I knew to be true, the face of the infinite. But at some point, I'd get to a point where I would say the doorway was a little too narrow for me. And what I mean is that um, my what I felt to be true or friends and my beliefs from different backgrounds would not fit through the doorway of this particular spiritual tradition. Mm. When I came across Kriya Yoga, it really spoke to my heart because it was the first spiritual path that I really experienced that welcomes all beings. It, for me, answers the question of how do we reconcile what appears to be dissension or conflict um, that we experience and still live in this essential wholeness that you so beautifully described in meditation. So in Kriya Yoga, I love the opportunity to learn functional practices that help us walk the talk in oneness. And I love how we learn to remember our essential wholeness that we're already this wholeness, and that we also live from that. We don't just study it. We don't just um, speak of it. But Kriya Yoga offers us practical pathways to live it. Mm. Yeah, it's really beautiful, really beautifully said. So how would you say that this practice has changed your life? Oh, gosh. Um, You know, in... Well, what I would say is that uh, in the past several years that I've been um, a Kriya Yogi, I would say I'm no longer a spiritual seeker. I am now what Yogacharya O'Brien would call a spiritual finder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, finding these teachings that really help me and others directly access this indwelling source, this essence at the core of our being, and to be able to draw on that when we're facing blessings and when we're facing challenges in our lives just cultivates an inner emancipation, a freedom that I still am not able to fully articulate, but, um, you know, the opportunity to realize that everything is an expression of wholeness and that wholeness is always present within us and learning how to live into that just changes the inner and outer trajectory of how I live and how I see the world and see life and see the infinite, experience the infinite. Mm-hmm. Just You have just a beautiful way of describing that. I really enjoyed that. So you're the founder and spiritual director of the Blue Lotus Center in Gilroy, California. And obviously, as was already mentioned, you're also a student of Yogacharya O'Brien and a minister at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Uh, so what has it been like for you to move from being a student of Kriya Yoga to both being a student and a teacher? And of course, you know, I, I did want to mention, I think you feel the way that I do is that um, the Kriya Yoga path is so... Um, it's so wonderful because it continually opens, it continually deepens. So mm-hmm. the more that time that you you know spend with it, um, you know, of course, you know, we know a lot more about it probably than you and I did when we first came to, you know, to uh, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. But um, there is always, it seems to me, it's always new because you might hear the same teaching, but you hear it in a different way. So you've continued to be a student, and now you're also a teacher. So what the, what's that been like for you? 
You know, it's interesting because in my heart, I still consider myself a 12th year student in my study at Kriya Yoga. So because as you say, you know, we're continually learning and deepening our experience and wholeness all the time. I do find that serving as a teacher in this tradition actually calls me to mature my role as a student so that I can authentically live and embody these teachings to the best of my ability. So my ongoing study and living of these teachings as a student is then what opens me to be able to more authentically share and represent the teachings uh, in my role as a teacher. Uh, I remember in my first year of seminary, Yogacharya O'Brien said how the students challenged her to grow as a teacher. And at the time as a student, I didn't understand that. But now as I wear the uh, hat of the role of the teacher and continuing student, I do realize the importance of um, my own commitment to my daily spiritual practice and my own commitment to um, spiritual awakening so that I am walking the talk and deepening my life in living in wholeness, remaining in integrity. Yeah, no, I I just was uh, reflecting on that story. I think it was about Gandhi, where the mother brought her, you know, child to Gandhi and said, you know, uh, Gandhi, my son is eating too much sugar. Can you please tell him he will? He won't listen to me, but maybe he'll listen to you. Can you please tell him not to eat any sugar as much sugar? And Gandhi sends the child away, uh, the mother and the child, and says, "Come back to me next week." So they come back next week, and he tells the child, "Yes, you know, your mother is right, and you should not, you know, be eating." as much sugar you need to you know stop doing that and the mother said well but why did you why couldn't you tell me that last week when i when i brought my child to you and and gani said well last week i was eating too much sugar (laughs) 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 you know our 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 commitment to practice truthfulness which is another you know of the of the ethical principles that is inherent in in the kriya yoga path you know calls us to be honest you know about our you know our our spiritual journey and as you said you know calls us to really put into practice what we preach yes and and i find it does keep me honest and it also uh teaches me compassion in that, um, you know, the mind want would want me to be able to live these teachings perfectly, which is not what the teachings say, um, but instead to be able to live these teachings to the best of my ability at the level of conscious awareness that I have in this moment, and to hold a spaciousness to allow compassion and room for growth and awakening to continue to arise from within me, um, and to lay down this this judgment of the mind that living the teachings somehow means perfectly rather than to the best of our ability. Mm, That's a great point. So when Parmahansa Yogananda was uh, sent here from India by his teacher, Sri Yukteswar, in 1920, uh, he was instructed to bring the teachings of Kriya Yoga of Patanjali to the West. Um, And Kriya Yoga really... It arises, I mean, the, um, there's a whole um, 
book of the of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras that's really about, you know, these practices, which we're, of course, we're not going to be able to get into all of that today. But um, just starting with what the words mean. So Kriya is a Sanskrit word that means action. And as I mentioned in the meditation at the beginning of the show, yoga is also a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union or unity. So the term Kriya Yoga means the actions that we take that lead us to this state of oneness or unity, or lead us to recognition that that's the case, that this unity already exists. So, um, how has your understanding of Kriya Yoga itself blossomed as you've been studying it for these many years? Well, you know, the first thing that came to mind is uh, Lahiri Mahashaya's um, statement that said that when meditation is practiced in this Kriya Yoga tradition, it offers the answers to all of our authentic questions. And initially, I would have thought of meditation as a form of relaxation, um, a form of stress management, um, you know, like that. But actually, in this tradition, meditation really is um, letting go of the stories that prevent us from living this oneness that that yoga is, and just resting in this inherent wholeness that we are. And that was a beautiful transition for me to be able to open into that spaciousness. I think another area where it's really changed for me is living into this word kriya, which is often translated as action. For me, initially, my Western mind would hear action as physical behavior. Mm. And, you know, Kriya to me as I live it today does not mean that. It actually means our thoughts and our words and our actions. Incorporating thoughts and words and actions to consider all of that to be part of how do we use this energy we're given to live in oneness was very important to me because, you know, we can behave overtly a certain way but internally, mentally carry a lot of strife around our outer behavior. And even though we're outwardly looking like we're behaving in a way that is compatible with oneness, inherently we're actually not if we're creating this mental disharmony with our outer behavior. So to me, Kriya Yoga really today is this alignment of our thoughts and our words and our actions directed towards living in the freedom of our wholeness. Mm. That's really well said. I would say, you know, the way that my understanding of Kriya Yoga has really blossomed is just that it penetrates more of my life. You know, that the more time that I spend with it, the more ways that I see it in action, you know, in my in my everyday life. Mm-hmm. So I realize that though we talk about Kriya Yoga in the introduction to the show, we really haven't had a program on Kriya Yoga fundamentals in a while. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show to talk about this. And as you know, the three components of Kriya Yoga, which we're going to focus on today, as described by Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras several thousand years ago, are self-discipline, self-study, and the self-surrender, or surrendering our sense of separateness from from God or from supreme consciousness or whatever word you would like to use for that source and substance of all that is. So, as I mentioned, Patanjali develops a whole chapter, um, and we're going to talk about these more in the second half of the show. But would you summarize what these each of these components means to you? Absolutely. Self-discipline 
I love the uh, definition that Yogacharya O'Brien offered years ago for self-discipline, which is being a disciple to the soul's joy. Mm-hmm. And I love that that opportunity to live that, being a disciple to the soul's joy. You know, imagine if we live in the soul's joy, which is a joy that is not compromised, it's not broken, it's not changed by loss or um, challenges in our daily life. And I also love this description of for self-discipline because it's so expansive and filled with divine possibility that it is beyond my mind's comprehension of it, mm. which then naturally allows us to open into something greater than the mind. And also, um, you know, considering self-discipline as being a disciple to the soul's joy is in such contrast to the typical concept of discipline that... Um, can be conceived as more restrictive or rules that we may have to follow that may make no sense to us or may serve no useful purpose in cultivating our inner peace. So that's perfect, you know, for, for self-discipline. And, and I, I do love the way that, um, you know, the, the quote that you have from Yogacharya O'Brien, that there is a lightness to it because discipline can have this heaviness, but um, just in a, in a nutshell, do you think you could do, um, you know, your, what, um, what self-surrender and uh, self-study mean to you? Because um, I definitely want to get into your journaling practice. So. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, Self-study to me is really understanding, studying and understanding how to live from what we actually truly are and not what we think we are. Mm. In self-surrender, it is learning how to give up once and for all this illusion that we are less than whole that we're broken, and that we're separate from this incredible source of wholeness that lives through us and around us. Oh, that was such a beautiful little nutshell definition. That was great. So um, I did want to mention that these three practices that we're talking about are also part of the the niyamas. So the niyamas is one of the eight limbs of yoga, again, as described by Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras. And the niyamas are five ethical principles that instruct us about how to bring our practice of yoga fully into our lives. So there are five, as I mentioned, niyamas or, or these um, uh, observances, um, self-study, self-discipline, self-surrender, and then contentment and cleanliness. And we're going to focus on the first three. Um, but what I did want to touch on is um, I've really admired uh, your practice of journaling. And I know that you've kept a journal for many years about your practice of the yamas and niyamas. So in the uh, couple of minutes that we have, can you just give a summary of what is that practice, the one that you started with? And then maybe we can get to, you know, how um, how that's uh, change through time. My spiritual journaling practice began actually when I was a ministry intern with Yogacharya O'Brien at CSE. And what we were invited to do is to study, explore, and live one of these ethical principles that you mentioned for at least one month. So, for example, I would spend a month living the question, what is contentment in my life? And I would um, read about it, explore it, and live it, and observe it. My spiritual journal was like my silent listening friend that would hold all my inspirations and teachings and questions 
contemplations and experiences of contentment as a spiritual practice and a way of living. Um, And this really helped me to see areas in my life where I was living in integrity with contentment and also the times where um, I thought I would be, was being content, but I would hear the judging mind come in and offer a less content perspective of my experience. Um, Spiritual journaling really was that place to um, deposit and then reflect on and witness um, what the process was towards actually becoming, um, having that ability to live contentment as a spiritual practice. Now, I know you, you, um, you know, you mentioned you started with, you know, doing a whole month, but the part, the last time or several years ago, I think you and I were talking about it. And what you were doing was you were doing a different one every day. And originally you were sort of starting to go through the list, you know, and, and go, you know, in, through them in order and the way that they're listed in the Yoga Sutras. But then I think you changed that over time and started to choose one that seemed most relevant for that day. Is that right? Yes, I would choose one that um, I evolved to being able to choose one that was more relevant. And, and what happened over time was actually, I think that ethical principle chose me during the day. So something would arise during the day that would say, wow, this is an opportunity to look at self-discipline. Well, I practice self-discipline in this moment, and how would that express itself mm-hmm. if it was, you know, leading my life, which mm-hmm. was my intention. Yeah. So initially, I was picking the practice, and then over time, I think what's more truthful is the practice picks me. <laughs> that was that's that's great. And then the other thing that I that I just loved is that you you held it in such a sacred way. So the book, I even remember seeing the book that you had. I mean, it had a beautiful leather cover. I'm sure you've gone through many of them now, but it was really beautiful. It had beautiful leather cover. I think the pages, you know, had like they were gilted around the edge. And I mean, it was just really, really pretty. And it seemed like um, such a lovely practice that I haven't yet found the discipline myself to do. So I did want to give you a chance to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, believe it or not, we've already just um, pretty much come to the break. So, and we are going to come back, of course, and talk a lot more about uh, self-discipline, self-study, and self-surrender. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with special guest, Reverend Dr. Paula Wang Ramos, psychologist, senior Kriya Yoga teacher and founder of the Blue Lotus Center. You can find out more about the Blue Lotus Center and about Paula and her teachings at the website, bluelotuscenter.org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. When we come back from the break, We are going to really be talking about the practices of Kriya Yoga and the link from those practices to living ever more fully from our wholeness. Please stay with us. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Too often, people desire prosperity but are not willing to pay the price. What is the price? It is sharing, giving, loving, and caring. Prosperity needs an inflow and an outflow, just as a body of water does if it is to remain fresh and clean. As we create an outflow by giving in love, we experience the inflow of a greater awareness of good in our lives. Perhaps you've been led to believe that for every winner in this game we call life, there must be a loser. The truth is that you rarely lose by giving. In giving freely without thought of return, we set in motion a great momentum of goodness. When we give, everyone is a winner. You have something unique to offer the world, something no one else can give. Whatever your gift, know that it is precious, give it freely, share it in love. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for cutting-edge health information, make sure you join Dr. Evelyn Higgins every Monday at 11 a.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. On the Dr. Evelyn Higgins Show, you will look at your health from all angles, the physical, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual. Dr. Higgins is an internationally recognized expert on health and wellness with over 29 years in clinical practice. Join the show with your questions and comments. The doctor is in. Tune in every Monday on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of The Yoga Hour, and my guest today is Paula Wang-Ramos. Paula is a psychologist, a senior Kriya Yoga teacher, and an associate minister 
at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, as well as the spiritual director of the Blue Lotus Center in Gilroy, California. So, Paula, we've been talking about your transition to you know, from being just a student to also being a teacher. And I did want to give you a chance to share a story about how these practices have made a difference in the life of, let me start with just one one story about a student. There was um, a very sweet interaction that I had with one of our regular Blue Lotus participants who was from a specific organized religious tradition, but she had stepped away from that tradition because she found it was not spiritually nourishing for her. But after her participation in Kriya Yoga and learning some of these universal techniques, she went back to her original faith of origin and really found a deep, intimate relationship with God as she understood God to be, and came and told me that story and was really grateful for being able to have Kriya Yoga practices and philosophies open her heart in a way that she could find God back in her own tradition. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really a lovely way to capture what Kriya Yoga is. No, that's great. And I think it also captures how, you know, Kriya Yoga is such an open door and there are lots of people who uh, come to CSE and, as a Kriya Yoga Center, but then also have are part of another, you know, faith uh, community. I know, um, someone who had been studying for many years who described herself as a Catholic yogini, which I just thought was a great, I mean, that captures it, right? You know, she's practicing these, you know, looking uh, or learning about these yoga principles, but seeing how for her, they're enriching her own understanding and, and um, faith in her faith of origin, which was Catholicism. So, so let's go back to the components of Kriya Yoga and talk about them in a bit more detail. And let's start with self-study. What I think about is interesting about self-study, um, because it, this comes up a lot, actually, where um, we catch ourselves doing something and notice our reaction. And for me, the more I meditate, the better I am at this, you know, where I, you know, something happens and I'm really clue in, you know, wow, I just, you know, reacted to it this way. Um, <clears throat> so self-study certainly means that. But because at by our, you know, very nature, yoga says, you know, we are consciousness, you know, that is what we are. And so the study of consciousness is also self-study. And so this also includes the study of scripture. So um, how has your understanding of self-study evolved over time? Self-study is such an interesting and open practice because it does include these two components you mentioned, Laurel, both the study of scripture and the study of the nature of our consciousness. In the study of scripture, we study scripture differently than other um, traditions might in that we don't study scripture to look for our wisdom in a book. In our tradition, we know that the divine wisdom that flows through all, through the wisest beings we know, um, also flows through us. So when we study scripture, what we're actually doing is opening into our own divine wisdom that's reflected in the scriptures. So to me, I love reading sacred scripture because it is like a spiritual mirror to me that shows me 
um, a part of my wholeness that I might not have seen before. And, and that's why it is, I think, that people sometimes will read a scripture and not understand it and then go back years later and read the same scripture from the same text and understand it. And, you know, the words on the page haven't changed, but what's changed is our consciousness and that deepening and more uh, broad consciousness is reflected in what's how we see that scripture, how we receive that scripture. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, in addition to the uh, study of the nature of consciousness, I mean, we're also um, studying ourselves, you know, as mm-hmm. we are responding in our lives, in our day-to-day lives, you know, so um, there's all kinds of things that happen. And lots of times, you know, I respond, of course, the way I would want to respond, but sometimes I don't, you know, and those are interesting, really interesting ones to catch myself in. The ways that I'm not, you know, coming from from wholeness. And uh, that, you know, that then I can learn something about, you know, myself, it's a great, um, it's a great opportunity for reflection, and then, you know, and, and decisions about how we want to be in the world and bringing that more fully to the front. Yes. And, and I think that, you know, one of the questions that um, Roy Eugene Davis invites us to ask, who, right, Mr. Davis's Yogacharya's teacher, is this question of what am I, which is just such a fabulous question because the mind can't comprehend it. So it it challenges us to go deeper is, you know, what am I? Am I this role that I'm playing? Am I this emotion I'm feeling? Am I this story I've told myself? Or am I the energy, the consciousness that is observing this story mm-hmm. and witnessing this emotion? I, I like to practice um, this level of self-inquiry when when I'm having one of those moments that you describe where maybe we're, <laughs> we're coming from the mind instead of, you know, this soul's joy. And, and I'll kind of stop myself in the moment and just say, okay, now wait a minute. Who's responding here? Is this my mind, my limited thinking mind that's responding? Or is this the wisdom that flows through all of life that's responding. Mm-hmm. And then depending on the answer that, you know, arises, that helps give me the direction of how to proceed from there. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, um, how that process happens is perhaps not quite as, as you know, clearly as you said. So oftentimes what will happen is I'll catch myself after, you know, like I'll have done something and then I catch myself after. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, but then the more if I'm having my meditation practice is active and, and I'm really, you know, dedicated to it, I end up finding myself able to catch myself more in the moment because that's great because then you can actually change. As you said, you can, you can change what you're going to do rather than have to go back and apologize about not doing what you want to do. <laughs> you know, and, and I do find that level of, of, uh, uh, inquiry very useful because when I'm having a going through a situation where I feel like I'm impatient or I'm defensive or I feel like, you know, this thing has to be addressed right now like this, those are all clues for me that help me see that's not what living in wholeness and grace is like. So even moments of impatience and frustration can be um, invitations for us to come back and look at, you know, yes. really, what am I? and make these course corrections. Yeah, no, very well said. So the next component is self-discipline. And as we mentioned earlier, when you were giving your little thumbnail descriptions, you know, discipline can have a negative connotation in our society. Um, But 
you had uh, mentioned, I think, a, a quote from Yogacharya, and I'll just say it more generally, um, that she encourages us to look at self-discipline as a way of listening to our deepest inner voice, our soul level, and really acting consistently with that. Mm-hmm. So what what does self-discipline mean to you? And, and how do you teach about this to your, uh, to your students? Self-discipline to me has, um, personally to me, self-discipline is living in peace, love, and wholeness. When I listened into what does it mean to be a disciple to the soul's joy, that's what came through me. So my own personal inner compass um, is based on those qualities of peace, love, and wholeness. But I also like what Mr. Davis says, very simply, just do what you know you should do, which is, you know, in his very concise way, a way of practicing self-discipline. But then the question is, well, then what am I supposed to do? And um, when I offer teachings about this practice, it really is living these teachings. So it is learning the restraints and the observances, the practices of harmlessness and truthfulness, non-stealing, right use of vital force, non-attachment, and the five observances that you mentioned, purity, contentment, self-discipline, self-inquiry, and surrender, as well as meditation. There's so many um, pathways that Kriya Yoga offers to help us live in our own peace, love, and wholeness. And um, But living the teachings also becomes very important, of whichever teaching speaks to you. Maybe it's not all of them. Maybe it's just learning what, you know, living... Um, truthfulness means, but to live that teaching to the best of our ability mm-hmm. and not to the ego's perfection um, really cultivates that discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reflections that I had um, about, you know, especially I think earlier on, but I still notice it. So tapas, this um, Sanskrit word for for self-discipline, has uh, also an association with burning. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was actually such a good description. I thought, boy, those ancient yogis were really onto something. Because like, I'll, I'll give an example. So say, um, say I notice something about someone in a kind of a gossip sense, right? Yes. And I just want to say it. I just, even though it's not, it may be truthful, but it's not, it's not harmless. You know, it's potentially harmful. And so it's like, it's on the tip of my lips and I just, oh, I want to say it. I want to say it. And just re- that restraint, such a good word, right? <laughs> yes. That restraint, you know, of not saying it. It's, it is like an internal burning. You feel that like burning. And there are so many other examples I, I could give, but it, I just thought those yogis, you know, <laughs> they really understood this idea <laughs> of, you know, trying to, you know, trying to live in the highest way. You know, sometimes you do, sometimes there is that burning. <laughs> There is, you know, and I find that living in the highest way, it it's not. Um, it sometimes it doesn't require uh, me doing more of something. It actually requires me doing less of something, like right. less talking, you know. And there is a heat that bur- that can build up inside from that restraint that comes from, you know, keeping the lips zipped <laughs> and honoring silence. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's let's turn to the the third practice of self surrender. Um, so 
yeah, again, when there's so many different ways, so many things I could say about, you know, self-surrender. But one of them is that I realize, you know, how during during a lot of my day, how um, me, quote unquote, the in quotation marks, what I experience as me is so closely associated with my thoughts. And so, you know, I, there's this feeling of I am, you know, my thoughts. And then when I sit to meditate, what's interesting is then that's where the space opens up where I realize, of course, I'm not my thoughts, you know, and that's, it feels like a, a surrendering of that attachment that I have to, to those thoughts. And that's part of what is surrendered, even as the process of meditation, even as meditation deepens, um, just to allow that space, you know, between the thoughts and going back to what I had said earlier in the meditation, to realize that there is a way that you can become the observer of your thoughts, you can watch them as they arise in meditation, and then watch them, you know, as they as they pass away. Of course, you know, we you can't, um, you can't make your mind not think. Anybody who's practiced meditation will, will experience that pretty darn quickly, um, that you can't, you know, make your mind a blank. But by allowing that space to uh, occur, and um, to me, that's part of the practice of self-surrender, uh, is to just let, let that go. And then your meditation can really, you can really drop down into the heart as Yogacharya O'Brien says. So what does is, what is self-surrender mean to you? And maybe you can give an example. Oh, I, you know, I think the description you gave is so beautiful. Self-surrender to me means exactly what you said, but it's doing that off the meditation cushion and in yes. our daily life. So, um, you know, to me, surrender is, what I would say is it's um, watching and waiting for grace. Mm-hmm. which is kind of what we do in meditation towards the end, is we're just watching and waiting for that inner shift to occur where we open into that wholeness. Um, but when we do, you know, walk our daily paths of our lives, we do get caught up in the stories of what we are and maybe um, circumstances that appear limiting or other people tell us of our limitations or maybe we see things on the news that we perceive to be limiting. And when we're living from that level of consciousness, we can become trapped in our thoughts and then we're limited in the options we come up with to solve these issues that arise. But surrender is giving up these stories and considering a different possibility. And I love in surrender, um, you know, that what I refer to as the three omnis, which are expressions of how um, this grace flows through us, is there is a divine omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience. And that is, you know, that this essential wholeness is always present within us. Its creative power and possibility is always around us, and the divine wisdom is always with us. And that's where we can redirect our energy. As you were saying, the mind can't stop moving. So if we're going to, if the mind is going to be moving, let's move it towards something functional, useful, spiritually. And what I find is, um, when my mind is fiercely attached to a thought that's not useful, I'll take that fierce mind energy and fiercely direct it towards where is divine presence right now in this circumstance? Where is divine creative possibility right now in this place where I see only limitation? Or where right now is wisdom that is beyond what I can see in this limiting circumstance that's before me, that I'm watching in my life or on the news. And the fierceness with which my mind can hang on to a thought 
is the same fierceness that I will apply actively seeking um, these divine qualities. And that's surrendering this illusion that we are these limiting thoughts and, Mm. you know, jumping into this endless swimming pool of wholeness and possibility. Mm. Yeah, it's just fantastic that, that, uh, you know, way you described it. You just really did a great job. But, you know, it is like you said, Laurel, sometimes our mind is very fierce, right? At attacking. (laughs) And so we can use that fierce mental energy. We just direct it towards a spiritual practice that helps us remember. Right. So we've we've touched on meditation a little, but I, I did want to just come back to it because I just, in my own experience, is just so critical. So how do you view the importance of having a meditation practice as, as part of our Kriya Yoga practice? Meditation, uh, in my experience, is the really the foundation for all of it because meditation is a time I love that it's called meditation practice and not meditation perfect because (laughs) it is you know it's the time where we sit and we practice again and again letting go of these mental thoughts that become obstacles to experiencing this wholeness that we are and we get to practice this in the quietness of our meditation space over and over again and that gives it builds that inner muscle within us that inner spiritual muscle of returning and that's what we can then use when we go and live in the world you know, when I teach meditation, I tell students, and sometimes new students are surprised to hear me say that the purpose of meditation is not to learn to meditate, but the purpose of meditation is to remove these mental obstacles so we can live in this essential peace and love and wholeness that we're all seeking and that is so needed right now. Um, when we don't have, when we don't practice meditation and we do um, our best um embodiment of self-discipline, self-inquiry, and self-surrender. I think, I know for me, I become at risk of living those intellectually, but not living them holistically. Mm -hmm. And meditation helps me open into that deeper consciousness. Mm -hmm. As you were talking, I was reflecting that really, meditation reminds us of who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that um, opportunity to to see that space open up and to realize, no, you know, I'm I'm not my body, I'm not my mind. Um, those are, you know, I I as uh, as is taught at, at CSE, you know, we are spiritual beings who are you know having a, a human experience, this embodied experience in our physical body, um, and of course, you know, with our minds, but that's not who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a way of, of as you were saying, it, it is like a muscle. You know, you are you are strengthening something. You're strengthening your ability to see that then off of the meditation cushion. You're mm-hmm. really it's 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 I think the strongest thing you can do to live more of the life that you want is to have a meditation practice. Yes, and it's beautiful to me how meditation and self-discipline, self-inquiry, and self-surrender, they work together synergistically and fit together like pieces in a puzzle that help us really live from the inside out. 
to not just mm-hmm. live from the mind, but have this opportunity, as you say, to directly experience his wholeness and then take that experience that we've had in meditation and look for it and cultivate it and nurture it and challenge it in our daily lives. And that's how we get to experience wholeness then in our daily lives and not just in our meditation cushion and not just as a concept in our mind, but by making these teachings work for us and you know, having that foundation of meditation to help us remember that that it is there within us. Mm-hmm. That's that's great that you touched up that at the end. You know that these qualities that we've been talking about—the peace, joy, that deep contentment—these are all qualities of our soul nature. And so, the more that we can experience that in meditation, the more that we. Um, you know, that, that we actually bring that into our lives, you know, of, co- of course, it can come into our lives, because it is who we are, it is our part of our, you know, a part of our essential nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've got two or three more minutes. And I did want to give you an opportunity to share some inspiration or encouragement with our listeners. So I think you said you had a, a quote that you wanted to share. Is that right? Yeah, you know, there is, um, one of the uh, um, Yogacharya O'Brien has so many beautiful inspirational quotes, but a couple that she shared that really just opened my heart is that what we have been searching for our entire lives is within us, and that what we are seeking is seeking us. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, captures just the heart of what Kriya Yoga is, is how do we live this way and how do we return? How do we take this outward-flowing energy that is 180 degrees in the opposite direction of really living in that source of peace and wholeness? It, you know, if we are seeking peace, it's already within us, and it's seeking us. If we're seeking wisdom, it's already within us, and it's seeking us. And if we're seeking unconditional love and unshakable joy in the presence of whatever we're living, you know, it's already within us and it's seeking us. And Kriya Yoga offers these so many different ways that we can return and learn how to turn this energy back within us and experience that and live this life from the inside out. Mm-hmm. As I reflect on our conversation, yeah, I think it's so great because we have been talking about all of these different actions. And I think we've given listeners a broader understanding, you know, so very far from just the physical postures, you know, the asanas that many people associate with yoga. Yoga is about all these things. Yoga is about, you know, it's about these three components that we've been talking about today. It's about self-study, self-discipline, self-surrender. It's about all of the yamas and the niyamas, which hopefully we'll get maybe another chance to talk about those in a different Mm -hmm. program. But uh, it's about all of these different things and a bunch of practices that we haven't even, you know, touched on. I mean, there's, you know, the pranayama, there's the breathing exercises, there's the focusing exercises, there's all of the meditation practices that are part of it. So, um, I think people maybe have a better understanding of how you and I could say at the beginning, wow, we've been studying it for many, many years, and there's just more. There's, you know, it's ever, ever new, ever new practice. Absolutely. And that's part of the joy and the inspiration of continuing in this tradition, because I have not found the edges of the doorway of these teachings yet. Everyone is welcome. Um, The teachings are broad and deep. There's space for everyone. And I love that because that, to me, is what wholeness is. Yes. Oh, very beautifully said. And with that, unbelievably, we've come to the end of our time together. 
You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of The Yoga Hour. And in this episode, we've been discussing living yoga, living wholeness with our special guest, Reverend Dr. Paula Wang Ramos. Dr. Wang Ramos is the founder, spiritual director, and Kriya Yoga teacher at the Blue Lotus Meditation and Yoga Center in Gilroy, California. She also serves as an associate minister at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose and as a licensed psychologist in Gilroy. To learn more about Paula's work, you can go to the website bluelotuscenter.org. Once again, thank you so much, Paula, for joining us today. Thank you, Laurel. And again, thank you, Yogacharya O'Brien. It was such a joy to have this conversation with you. What an adventure. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. So um, join us next week when we are offering an encore of the program, Realizing Happiness Through Yoga. The guest was Sam Chase, who discussed his book with me. His book is called Yoga and the Pursuit of Happiness, A Guide to Finding Joy in Unexpected Places. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. For more information about the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, you can visit the website csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. If you're enjoying the podcast, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Sean Smith, CSE's global media outreach manager Holly Gray, and as always, Jeff Comfort in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again while Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.